don't give up on a girl who's bipolar from the beginning. One day she's kissing you, she's hugging you. The next day she wants to end her life where she doesn't want to see you again. Past history trauma, who's been abused, who's been raped, who's been psychologically fucked with and cheated on. Yo, what's good, my friends? It's Adam here, and welcome to the Bold Dojo Podcast. We're the home of self-cultivation, a place where we can just dive into social dynamics, where we can understand how best to interact with other human beings and learn about ourselves in relation to others. If you have any questions or personal stories that you would like to get my feedback on, you can always send them through at boldojo.com, B-O-W-L-D-O-J-O.com, any one of the contact forms there. Or you can also reach out to me on social media, on Instagram at uitang1, double O-I, Tang1, or on Facebook, which is just Facebook, The Adam Ui. You guys can find all the links down below to that. Also, if you're not signed up to the free weekly email newsletter, The Bowl Sip, you can do so over at boldojo.com. Just a quick sip of Social Dynamics, little cheeky article. It's free every single week. Comes out on Fridays, Australian time, and also some other sexy updates from the rest of the universe and any other things that I think you guys need to know about that will not get censored over on social media. Once off sessions. And I look forward to diving deeper with you. You can also pick up the guided meditation, Eternal Energy, on boldoja.com. A nice five track. Eh, we call it an album, but it's actually more of a course. Just diving deep into who you are and evolving beyond. If you'd like to help support this podcast, you can donate anything that you wish through the PayPal link, which is paypal.me forward slash Adam Ui, A-D-A-M-O-O-I. Or also directly on boldojo.com in the Boldojo podcast section. There's a direct link through the website if you want to donate through that as well. And anything that you guys donate is always most appreciated and just goes back to help supporting this show and everything that I'm doing here at The Bowl. So thank you very much. Without further ado, let's dive into today's show. Yosha! How to deal with a girl who is bipolar. If you're an emotionally immature masculine being and you're just not prepared, you have no idea what to do when a girl says to you that I love you and then the next day says that I want to kill myself. You just have never been through this experience of someone who experiences such wild emotional fluctuation, whether she's been professionally diagnosed with bipolar or it's a self-diagnosis that she just wakes up from one day to the next feeling like a different person. You know, you need to ascertain whether you are in the right stage of the journey. Are you in the correct stage of the journey to be handling someone like this? Do you have practice reps with people of similar dispositions or have you had the training of having difficult conversations with people? that are not only direct, congruent, authentic, but covered with empathy to make sure that they know that when you're inquiring about what it is that they feel and what it is that goes on within their psyche and their being, that it's always coming from a place of love, a wholesome place of, I want to understand you better. You know, this is one thing that masculine beings struggle the most, I would say, in terms of communication, is getting beyond the militarization, operational fix-it. That mentality of that, everything that is presented to you as a man has to be a problem that has to be fixed. And, you know, while that is very appropriate in the military, in the operations of things and solving math problems, et cetera, it's really quite detrimental and dangerous to take that same mindset or that application towards a human being. If you have a woman presented with you and she's been vulnerable enough to divulge that she has been professionally diagnosed with bipolar or that if it is a self-diagnosis that she's just willing to tell you that what should not be met on the end of that is okay let's see what we can do about this it shouldn't be this uh, even if you said that there was a little bit of light in my voice there there was it wasn't a okay fuck this is a mad problem This this is something that i'm okay this is bad like this is not good you know and you start to enter that rush mentality it wasn't that yeah, and I sense that most people coming to this content, I think most human beings, if they had someone present to them that they are in fact bipolar, 
would do their best to try, particularly males, would do their best to try and come from a benefit of the doubt, good place, good intent, especially if you guys are starting to connect romantically. And I wouldn't assume that any of you have negative or dark intent, yet the outcome can often be the same. In which what I'm saying is that you had the right heart but the wrong mind, and the wrong mind being that this woman is someone for me to fix. Her bipolar is something for me to fix, and that we're going to try and design a way out of this for her. You know, while that does sound good, I mean, as a, as a man, as a man myself, hearing that, let's design a way out of this, that's it's such a male mentality that it's very attractive to the male mind. But I'm sure if you're a woman listening to this, you're going, nope, nope, like that, what are you doing? What are you talking about? You don't even understand a droplet in this ocean of the emotional experience that I'm going through. And even more so, this goes well beyond you. Really hard concept for masculine beings to understand is that when you come into a new romantic connection with a woman, whatever she's brought to the table, what was it? Whatever was in her hurt locker, e.g., past abusive trauma, psychological uh, abuse coming up through parents, family, or if even just literal definitions from a more psychological standpoint of actual bipolar or split personality disorder or whatever it may be, narcissism, dark triad type examples. Uh, attachment styles, you know, anxiously attached, those type of attachment styles, if you want to go through those definitions, but those are all very loose and very general. What we're really talking about here is that if you have anyone who comes to you with any form of thing, which is actually, it's going to be pretty hard as you get beyond 18 years old to find a human being that doesn't have something. And that is one of the most beautiful things about life. And we will get to, there's actually a context for today. I've got a story, not a story. I've got a comment sent in, uh, which is forming the basis of today's podcast, but we're kind of on a bit of a rant here. So I just want to finish this line, which is that if you go throughout life and you practice social dynamics, you practice the art of human interaction in which that you're endeavoring to learn the best about yourself, develop the best about yourself in through learning others. You learn about other people. You're going to come across people that have been raped, people that have been sexually abused, people that have been cheated on. You know, cheating cheating sounds a little bit trivial the way that you can use that word, but it is can be tremendously severe in terms of its impact on a human being, particularly in formative years, particularly in years of where maybe a human being has not understood what it means to be able to love someone dependent upon having them in their lives. Deeper concepts for us to dive into. This is just the beginning of the podcast. That's a pretty good intro, I think. Pretty good intro. So welcome, my friends, to, uh, I think today's like episode 126, something like that. Sorry if I'm wrong on that. But yeah, welcome to the BDP. This is where we take a moment in our lives to just understand human beings better, uh, helping human beings to interact better with other human beings. And if you're here, it is because, as I said before, you want to learn about yourself in relation to others. And that's what we do here. So, so as I said, this podcast is going to be based on a comment that one of you dropped on my Girls of Daddy Issues Explained Part 2 video. This was sent in by Cheerful Nihilist, and he says, Hey, thanks for your channel. Luckily, I stood on it. I think he means come across it. <laughs> I think. I'm looking for advice about Girls of Daddy Issues since I'm talking with someone and she's bipolar. This helps a lot. I'm emotionally immature since my parents were neglectful on emotional support and I'm still healing to be a better man. So a very short but very sweet message, not a lot of context in terms of how old they are, what the nature of their relationship is, you know, what ethnicity and background, so we don't know any of that. But what we do know is that we have one female who has bipolar and one male who is emotionally immature and neglected at a younger age. And it's interesting that he dropped this comment on the Girls With Daddy Issues video because it's actually been a common thing across that series of videos that I made of girls that have reached out to me saying that 
they also have bipolar along with their daddy issues or guys that are dealing with girls that have daddy issues also dropping that it's likely they also had bipolar as well. And I don't think those two things are causal. I don't think that if you're bipolar, that means you're going to have daddy issues or if you have daddy issues, that makes you bipolar. I think there's just a strong correlation. I don't think it's causal though. Anyways, moving beyond that, let's just tackle his question right off the bat, which is that he was just came for looking advice on how to deal with a girl like this. And this is where we need to ascertain your stage of development, where you are in your journey. Is this relationship going to serve? Do you have the ability to serve the lessons she needs? Do you have the capacity, not only the emotional capacity, so we've got to pass out many factors here. The emotional capacity as a masculine being is something that you should always vet first before getting involved with someone who has either a lot of, we're just going to compartmentalize this as hurt lockerness. People that come to you with a hurt locker. I think I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast here, people that have been abused past you know, rape, sexual abuse, even just psychological abuse, cheated on before, uh, parents, friends, family, society, you know, just whatever their upbringing has been, but it's been less than optimal. It's been negative in some form and they're still holding on to that pain. Right, if you've got anyone that brings something of that nature towards you, I would always vet first is that am I emotionally prepared to deal with this? Because there is definitely honor in pushing yourself to venture into the unknown. I definitely respect, if this guy's listening to this video right now, I definitely respect your desire to want to help her, to want. And this is actually quite a key point. The masculine perspective is often to try and fix a woman. It's often the male mindset. I've done, I remember particularly when I was doing mostly live podcasts and I would have a live class here answering questions going back and forward with me. One of the most common mistakes I would see from, and it was predominantly males who would join the live sessions, was that every time I would throw them a question based on a story that was sent in or based on a social dynamic principle, and it had something to do with a issue that a woman was portraying, demonstrating, experiencing, the male answer was often to fix her to that you somehow as the masculine being have all the answers, that you have the tools uh, to take 10, 15, 20 years of past abuse and just fix it. <laughs> and I know that most masculine beings, when they come across like, oh, I just want to, I just want to, I just want to get her to move past this. I just want her to overcome this. I want her to, specifically in this bipolar situation, the most incorrect mindset you could have, Mr. Cheerful Nihilist, which is his username. I just call him cheery. <laughs> I just call him cheery. The most incorrect mindset you could take, the way you want to steer away from the most, is getting into a fix-it mindset. Particularly with girls that, if you would categorize them as having broken wings, yeah, I don't like. I don't like the concept of people viewing themselves as broken, but to have a broken wing. Right? When people say that, I, you know, you see these quotes on Instagram. I know we'll get it from a bit of a bamboo shoot here, but that's what the podcast is. So buckle up. We we hear those, you hear these inspirational, not so much inspirational, but maybe to some people it's inspirational. But, you know, you see those infographics on Instagram and you see these posts, these mushy posts about how everyone's broken and we just all need to be broken together. You know, you see those posts. I don't like that at all. I don't like that at all. I don't like categorizing yourself as damaged goods, as stolen treasure, as defiled, as corrupted, as if that this is, because what that's essentially signaling is that your inherent nature now in perpetuity for the rest of your life is to be that way. You know, if you refer to yourself as broken, the way that you talk to yourself, you have predestined the trajectory of your life. 
it is okay to acknowledge when you've been burned. Right? Certainly you have gone through an experience where someone uh, betrayed you. They, you placed your trust in them and they did something that was less than empathetic, less than caring. And you know you could take cheating as an example. You could take many examples here. You could, uh, and don't worry, we'll, we'll, we'll get back to the bipolar in a second. But I'm just talking about this idea about the way that you speak to yourself, this idea of being broken. It's about broken wings, not broken people. Right? You broke your hand, but listen, to really settle this right now, because I don't want to get too deep in the weeds of this, but you know nothing's over until you're dead. And even then, we don't know what happens after that. But you can, you can lose your arm, you can lose your leg, you can break a finger, you can snap your neck. <laughs> there are big people that have taken bullets to the head and still survived human beings are quite resilient I'm not saying that I would recommend that I want it if you go yeah I'll try testing that theory but there are situations where that has definitely happened so so what I'm saying is that you can be damaged but it doesn't mean you are damaged in terms of rest of your life bringing this back here coming back to the fixer we'll dive right back up here going back into the fixer of things because I'm not entirely sure how we got into the bamboo shoot but it's still a great point to make, which is that never view yourself and never talk to yourself in such a definite cemented way. Coming back here, this guy wants the advice on how to talk and how to deal with this girl. We're going into, first off, don't try to fix her. Don't try to see her as a math problem. Don't try and see her as an equation that has to be solved and that you somehow have all those keys, even though you just walked into her life. Now I know where we were at before. Ascertaining whether you're emotionally prepared. Are you in the right stage of life? Yeah, that's where that one came from. So let's go back into that. It's really important to understand whether you are emotionally prepared. Yeah, and having the, uh, it's good to have the balls to want to try and venture out into something that's a little bit unknown. And I like that you're doing that right here. But you should be doing exactly what this guy is doing, is that reaching out to someone who's more experienced, reaching out to a coach for guidance, not trying to overstep what's potentially possible for you within your capacities. For this guy, let's take him at level zero. What I would recommend to him is that, of course, having a direct conversation with her, sitting her down on a night, preferably out in nature, somewhere low energy in terms of low energy interference. Don't be out at a cafe. Don't be out uh, in, a, in a loud room with a loud TV or something. Just step out into the grass, step out onto the beach, step out into the waterfall of things and really just get to understand her. For, of course, first off, acknowledging her, but saying, hey, listen, this is what I like about you. This is what I feel is really good about you and how you make me feel. Right? Make sure that she's Receiving the message from you that the intent of this conversation is based in love, based in understanding, based in wanting to help progress the relationship between you two forward and to understand where that will go. This dives into a whole different concept of that you're not going to be the guy. You're not always going to be the guy. Most of the time, you're not going to be the guy that's going to be the one to finish the journey with her. When dealing with a woman's hurt locker, whatever abuse may be within that hurt locker, you know, that's a stage, it's a journey, it's a journey of stages and not every guy that she comes across is going to be the one to see her through to the end of that and likewise from the reverse perspective, you're not always going to be the guy to see the end of that her locker cleaned out. When you have this mindset and you understand this, that it immediately detaches you from having to fix her because you never one coming in with that mindset and number two, it's very unlikely that you will be even if you could. You know, it's very rare to be the last guy is what I'm saying. And I'm not talking about in the Disney fairy tale of things in terms of riding off into the sunset and you're going to live uh, in a serial monogamous relationship for the rest of your life. I'm not, it's not what I'm talking about. And that's okay if you want to live in that. I'm not bagging on monogamy at all. Right tool for the right, for the right job, you know, for the right stage of development is what you should be looking for your relationship style. 
That is not what we're talking about right now, though. We can get into that a different time. If you have more questions, drop them down in the comments down below. But getting back to this, sitting down with her on a night, starting off by acknowledging her, showing her goodwill, showing her good intent, acknowledging her for who she is. This is so key to do early on, to set the foundations of your relationship. He said in this comment that he's just speaking with her. So what that says to me is that he says here, I'm looking for advice about girls with daddy issues since I'm talking with someone and she's bipolar. See, I'm talking with someone, that doesn't that doesn't necessarily give me any idea that you're sexually involved yet, but it very well could get there. Very well could get there. And also with girls that are bipolar and girls that I've been with by who have been professionally diagnosed with bipolar, they can progress very sexually, very quickly, even beyond their own levels of comfort zone. But then, and it's actually quite confusing because to them, confusing to them, because one day they feel like they want to go all the way, then the next day they don't even want to get a hug from you. You know, that's what that's what's so vexing and perplexing about being with someone who's bipolar. That what is a green light one day can be a red light the next. So, with all that being said, coming back here, I know we, I know I keep dragging this back. There's so many interesting bamboo shoes to dive off into but where that came from was as we're in this conversation here really important to show her uh, that you have good intent goodwill and that you do see her for who she is and that will set her up for an emotional win off the bat Uh, it would prime her to be able to absorb the information as best she can so as you go through this and she she receives that then you want to state your intent for the conversation which is that Obviously, at this point, well, I, should, I shouldn't say obviously. If he's telling me in this comment that she has bipolar, then I am assuming that you've already had a conversation in which she stated that, in which that she's already told you that. I, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty unlikely. Like Generally speaking, if someone was just assuming, I mean, this guy's obviously his English is not his first language, so maybe I'm wrong. So maybe you could take, maybe we'll take both situations then. Situation A, where the girl has actually told you that she's bipolar, or situation B, where you feel like she's bipolar, but she hasn't actually told you. Because those are two very different conversations when you think about it. Situation B is a lot more difficult than situation A, so let's start with that. So let's say that you've got a situation with a girl that you're not entirely sure if she's actually been diagnosed with bipolar, but that's the way that she presents. That one day, it feels like she's going to be the mother of your children, and then the next day, she doesn't want to borrow you, she, never wants, she doesn't want to see you again, and she's just so cold, hot, cold. Cold, hot, hot, cold. The conversation structure is largely the same. It's just the contents are going to change. So always at the prerequisite, we always acknowledge the person first, gets them emotionally on the side. Then we'll transition into our intent. And by the way, I will say this. Uh, skipped, I skipped a key part there. Skipped a key part because we're not talking about... Um, because, I, I mean, this is a short comment. It's a short comment, but I'm realizing that this explanation should not be short. We should dive into every single intricacy here. So after acknowledging her, you should then set up the rules of the conversation, which is very simply that I need to be heard fully first, just so you don't make any assumptions, just so you don't get any confusion about what uh, is about to be said. You know, if you only hear 10% of it, then you cut in, then maybe you're going to miss out on a huge part of it. So we don't want any of that happening. So just let me finish everything I have to say. And then I want to hear everything you have to say after that. Cool. She has to agree to that. And you both have to agree upon that before you continue the conversation. By the way, just for those of you that have heard that, because that's also the same structure of a conversation we would have with someone who we're setting up a new relationship with, whether it be monogamous, open and free, doesn't matter. Open relationship doesn't matter. It's a general principle of human dynamics that you want to start 
difficult conversations by putting that little T and C in there, little terms and conditions in there. Because later on, if a conversation does become heated and you have to say, hey, hang on a second, let me finish, it's not as if you are saying it for the first time. It has already been said and it's something that we have already agreed to. So if someone steps over the line, they know that they stepped over the line and it's a lot easier to bring them back over the line if the line was already set from the beginning, okay? Rather than just throwing rules at them mid-conversation. That's why that's important. Anyways, moving on. Once she agrees to hearing you out fully, when you go into hearing out fully, if you have the assumption that, or the premonition that she is bipolar, but you're just not entirely sure, then I would just very simply state that this is what I've noticed. This is what I have observed. You want to avoid very subjective judge. Well, it's always going to be subjective, but overly subjective, overly judgmental terminology. You want to avoid saying <clears throat> inflammatory things that could spike a trigger within her. You just purely want to state the facts. So what I noticed the other day when I got out of the car was this, was X, which was that. You hugged me for really long and that we kissed. If that was the kiss, if that was what happened. These two, I don't, it doesn't, it does not sound like these two have kissed, but let's just say that they did just to make the story a little bit juicier. <laughs> All right. So the other day, when we got out of the car, you hugged me really long and you kissed me. That was the fact. Next day, when I went to text you to see what was up or just to say good morning or whatever it was, you came at me. I've got to take the gangster out of it. You appeared very cold. Your text was extremely short and denied wanting to meet up. Let's say that you had offered uh, to meet up later that afternoon or something or the next couple of days. And it just seemed very cold and it was a complete denial, complete rejection with no explanation. So as you got here, a hot, cold situation from long hug, being kissed to now no explanation of a denial of a request to meet up again. Very typical bipolar situation. If you've ever been on someone bipolar, uh, I'm, what, I'm essentially taking a real life story right there, something that I've experienced where you're wondering where they came from and just trying to compartmentalize it into this story. You know, it's, 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 a, uh, it's a very common trait of bipolar people to flip that way so quickly. If you notice what I did there, the crux of what I did was to not say, and you, you hear me, I had to take out that come at me. You came at me with the cold or you came at me with the fire or you treated me uh, so much like this or so much like that. And you, it's such a human nature to want to put in these, ex, I was going to say explicitives, explicitives, just overindulgences and painting it out a little bit more vividly than it needs to be. When it comes to dealing with someone who's bipolar, you want to keep things, I know this is going to sound a little bit, a little bit, you might take this the wrong way, but just play, play along. You want to be as emotionless as possible when stating the issue. Maybe, maybe that doesn't sound as bad as it was. In my mind, it sounded like that was going to come out a lot harsher than it actually did. So the reason, as you can see, being as emotionless as possible is just offering less points to get triggered on. If you say to someone, listen, the other day, uh, you were an absolute bitch and uh, you just treated me like an absolute piece of shit. You treated me like I was a dog. You didn't even respond to my message. You completely denied, like, what is what is it? You just don't, you don't like me. You don't want to be with me. You, you see all this over subjectivity. You see all these points that someone could get triggered on. It's like you're planting landmines when you try to add all these extra emotional bits of info into it. 
Whereas if you can remove those landmines and those bits of info and just keep things at the facts, what was the fact of the situation, which was that it was just a very cold message and it denied wanting to meet up with no explanation. Because anyone that you're close with, friend or family, et cetera, if you offered to you know, take them out to dinner or to go out and meet up sometime and they said no, no, no one you know would ever just say no. That's it. That's the message. There would always be, ah, oh, sorry, man, I can't because I got basketball tonight or sorry, man, tonight's just not good because I'm, I need to clear some space for myself. So, yeah, another time. Though. You know, so there would always be a re-invitation if you had that relationship. So, anyways, anyways. <clears throat> Less landmines. <laughs> Less landmines is all I was trying to say there. So, what are we moving on to next? Stating the facts, yes. So, as you painted out an example to her of her bipolar nature, remember, the situation we're in right now is a girl that you're not entirely sure if she actually has it. You haven't had that discussion yet. You're just showing to her what you have observed and why this is an issue. So it is, it is more than fine and it's actually quite important that once you state an example of her hot, cold nature to then say how it made you feel. But again, avoid landmines and just say, and the way this made me feel was that you confused the intent, that I just didn't understand where I stand with you. I don't know whether you like me or not. I don't know whether... This relationship is what I thought it was. So there's a lot of confusion here for me. It made me feel very confused. And I would like to get... And because remember, we're taking a situation where these two haven't had sex yet. They're not in a relationship. This is very much the, the burgeoning of things. So there's no need to get... Uh, take things too far. You know, I, I kept things pretty chill there just by saying... Just stick, keeping things mostly at confusion. Confused about the relationship. Confused about your intent. Confused about where this is going and what you think this is going to be. And so... This would now organically pass it over to her to say, please fill in. Please fill in the blanks for me. Part one, I would offer, and this is a really good thing, particularly for people that are bipolar, but really for anyone in a conversation where you've presented information to them about where, particularly about their behavior. And then when you want them to fill in the blanks, as I said, <clears throat> provide them options, provide them structure framing for which that they can take their answer because it's too open-ended just to say all right now i'll just leave it over to you so what i would say is that so could you part one explain to me what that hot cold thing was like like why you went through that and could you also explain to me what it is you feel about us about our relationship where you think this is going so right there you've given them two framing questions to be able to give you the information that you need and makes it a lot easier for them to actually be able to respond to you Otherwise, they'll just go off, into, especially if it's a girl. Remember, girls don't think like guys. Girls are not going to go into a logical route uh, in answering your questions. They aren't going to do what you just said or what I just said. A woman's typical response to such an open-ended question is not to try and pass it out logically like we just did. They want to run with a the wild. They want to go into uh, many things that may even seem irrelevant to you but seems relevant to them and is maybe just not what you want to get at. So definitely provide framing. Definitely provide framing. So what I would then expect to happen is that if she actually has been diagnosed with bipolar and she's the conversation has been set up this way and she's felt your good intent, your goodwill throughout all of this, I would put good money on that she would likely divulge it then and there. That she would then say to you, oh, well, this is something that we haven't really talked about yet, but it is true that I actually have bipolar. I've had it diagnosed since I was 14 and relationships have just been really hard for me. And so anyone that I get involved with you know, it's always a bit of a point of trepidation. It's always makes me feel a little bit scared, a little bit anxious about telling them because, you know, I know that's not what a guy wants to hear. I know that's not what people in general want to hear, you know, because it's pretty 
hard to understand what it means. It takes me a long time to be able to explain it. I'm not that great at explaining it, etc., etc. She will then divulge it if you feel like if you've set it up quite well. If she doesn't have a diagnosed form of bipolar, but she's just aware of this in herself, like it's unless you are literally a 16 year old listening to this podcast, and this is the first time, first relationship, first time. A girl has ever gone through this with someone explaining her behavior to someone before, unless it's that. She's had a few runs through relationships and a few runs talking through uh, this type of experience with guys. She will likely be able to describe to you just without calling it bipolar, just saying that, yeah, I have wild fluctuations in how I feel. I, some days are good, some days are bad. And, uh, and, you know, however she wants to go in, she might use analogies, she might use that some days it's shining, some days it's raining, you know, and that's the best she's going to be able to give you, then that's okay, right? It's okay. Whatever she gives you is fine. You don't need to, <clears throat> you don't need to try and elucidate any more than she's willing to give other than just helping her through points at which that she, maybe it looks like she's looking for a hand in that scenario. You know, for example, if a girl was to go in and say, yeah, it's really, particularly if she's undiagnosed to say, uh, you know, this is a pattern with past guys. It seems that for the first couple of weeks, I'm really, really hot on them and I really, really want to be with them over time. But then just something flips in my mind, something switches in my mind and I just don't want to be with them. It's, it's like I get scared in a way and then all of a sudden you hear these little words being thrown out, scared. Always looking for fear-based words. Fear-based words, limit-based words, negative self-perceptions, not feeling good enough, not feeling I don't feel worthy. I feel like he's just going to lose interest in me. So then you've got a form of, uh, well, I was going to throw in the word neediness there. I'll save that one for a little bit later. But if you've got a girl particularly who's worried about being rejected or worried about her self-worth being perceived and she rejects as a result of that, well, then it's just all coming under these fear. This is like the fear tree and we're just looking at branches of what that may be. Hearing these words, if you are well-versed in the concepts of limiting beliefs, negative self-perceptions, egoic attachment, a lot of the stuff that we talk about here in this podcast then you can just offer rods. You can offer rafts, I should say, to help her cross that river. You can offer a raft to help cross that river and saying, so is that like, for example, let's say that she said, oh, a lot of times I act that way. For example, with that situation where we got out of the car and I was all over you and I was hugging you and I was kissing you, but then the next day I didn't want to text you. It wasn't It wasn't that I didn't want to go out of you. It's just that you know, sometimes I question whether I'm really worthy enough or sometimes I question whether... Why would you even be interested in me? It's like, you. I know it sounds stupid. I know it sounds weird, but it's hard for me to believe that you would even want to go out with me. And so then I think you're lying and then I just, just get turned off. And I'm just like, ah, and I'm, I'm sure my texting is not the best. I'm sure it came off way too cold, way too harsh. Right, but that that's the way that my mind works. And then you can start to pry, not pry, pry is the wrong word. I said that very fluently. I, should, I shouldn't have said that so fluently. If she was hesitating throughout that and you just heard a word that you are well-versed in dealing with such as, or a, a term or a phrase such as what I said before, well, it seems like, uh, it seems like, it felt like that I'm not sure why you would even be interested in me and so then I think you're lying. And going, so, so let's just like help understand that. And that's what I would say to her. Let me understand that a little bit better. Why would you think that I'm lying? Why would you think this? Why would you think that? Asking the why, how, what questions to just better elucidate the situation, that's all you need to do. 
You don't need to say to her, you need to stop doing that or you shouldn't think that way or that's not the right thing or you, know, you want to avoid those judgmental box it, fix it, this is how it should be done instead type mentalities and executions, applications. And instead, just the, the why of things, just to better understand them. And as you go through these types of conversations with girls, what you realize is that the balance is very much 80-20. It's 20% you just needling up threads, right? You're just getting a thread and you're needling it. You're hooking it into the needle and you give the needle to her and you let her create with it, which is very much the principle of a cold human interaction, meeting a random stranger for the first time in the investment stage, which is very much about creating comfort and trust. And the way that you create confidence in someone is not by you talking more, but allowing them to talk to you more. By allowing someone else to invest themselves into you, that is what inspires the feelings of trust and comfort within them. Yeah, the fact that they register that you're willing to hear them out. That's key. Now, give me a second, my friends. I've just got to let someone in the front and we'll be back. All right, my friends, we're back in this game. So getting back to the comfort and trust of things, that's what we're going on that it's really important that you inspire within her the feeling that she can trust you and that she would even want to open up. And that it's really every conversation you have of this nature, it is a stage, it is a step in and of itself. You may not climb the entire ladder in one conversation with someone. It's enough for your first conversation, whether she is diagnosed or is just self-diagnosed, undiagnosed, whatever it is, but you're just describing to her what her behavior is and how it's so hot, cold, and it's so one day, I love you, next day. And we haven't even talked about the self-infliction of pain. We have not even talked about girls that try to self-harm, girls that try to end their own lives. And whether you are prepared for that, how to be prepared for that, how to deal with that, we'll get, that's the next thing we'll get to. But we're simply talking about addressing with this conversation because I want it to be as tactical as possible at the beginning of this podcast for this gentleman. And what this gentleman had simply asked was, I'm just looking for advice uh, about girls with daddy issues since I'm talking to someone and she's bipolar because he feels like he's emotionally immature. So my friend, being emotionally immature, I don't want you to try and step the bounds. I don't want you to try and climb an entire ladder in one conversation. If you can just nail one thing at a time and it's that having this initial conversation, summarize it, which that you acknowledge her from the beginning, the things that you like about her, listen, I see you. I love this about you. I love the way that you make me feel in this way, etc. You just open up about that. Now, let's set up the conversation this way. Just need to hear me fully first. And I want to hear you fully afterwards. Cool. We agree to that. Here's what happened. I felt like on X on Thursday, you were very hot. On Friday, very cold. Whatever situation, give her a direct example. And then once you move on the direct example, pass it over to her and give her some framing to help her to fill in the blanks in which that, can you explain to me why that was? Can you explain to me where you feel like you we're going in this relationship, what your intent is. I want to know everything that you're feeling. I want to be here to understand it all. Shut up. Let her go into it. Only time you need to interject is not even really an interjection. But the only is just to help her offering, offering a helping hand to help her dive into something that maybe she's hesitating on and wants approval that it's okay to talk about that. AKA if she says something like, hey, I am actually diagnosed with bipolar and you're saying, okay, what does that mean? Please help me understand what that means. Okay, I don't know if it's if it is diagnosed or anything, but what I know is that, yeah, I have some limiting beliefs that go on within me about self-worth. Um, sometimes I get a little bit too needy and I want to overprotect as a result of that. I have a lot of protection mechanisms, etc. Whatever comes out of it, that you're just there to offer a helping hand if she needs it to further divulge, further build and invest into the relationship between you two. That is the conversation in a nutshell. 
That's it. That is all you need to do in a first conversation with a girl that is presenting with bipolar symptoms and the behavior of someone who is very hot cold. Now, I said that we're going to move into girls that were self-inflicting and as a result of their bipolar nature, very harmful towards themselves. This is actually where things are going to get a lot more deep, a lot deeper, a lot more real. Because this is actually what I have more experience with. I mean, I've dealt with girls that have bipolar nature where literally <laughs> rocking up on a day. Like you, you met them, you met them one day and it was cool. You met them the girl, I remember this one girl I met on the street one day. And uh and she was fine. She was fine, like we had a great time meeting, went on an instant date together. But then when I went to set up for the day two and I met her out on the street, we met her to go out for coffee and she wouldn't even hug me off the bat. She wouldn't hug me off the bat. Actually, some of you probably know this story because I've actually done a whole podcast on it a long time ago. This is one of the most extreme examples of when a girl just wouldn't hug me, wouldn't kiss me, and just kept denying that it was a date. And it just, everything, but yet at the same time, she was happy to be there. Like she just kept verbally denying the fact that this is anything of a sexually polarized interaction, even though it very clearly is. And uh, she was uh, on the on the phone, on the phone in tears. Uh, one night apologizing for her for her behavior and I feel like I want to go into that story now <laughs> no it's just it's it's a very long story okay maybe we'll save it for later maybe I'll come back to that a little bit later but I have told that podcast no no it's because I've told the story many times I've done an entire podcast dedicated to it anyways anyways coming back here that's actually not a self-harm story anyways so I can I can get better stories than that so I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, proximity and depth of connection. We talked about development as well, emotional development. So we're going to move beyond this guy. I want you guys to wipe your minds clean of the person who sent in this story who was emotionally immature. Now let's just step to something a little bit more neutral, a little bit general. <clears throat> if you're dealing with someone that one day says that I love you, or one day says, if not in verbally, but it makes you feel like they love you, and then the next day or later that night, they call you up saying they want to end their lives. That this world is not worth living in anymore. Yet they just wanted to tell you just out of courtesy. Not because they feel so deeply about you, but more just, it's such a matter of fact. It's like, yep, this is it. I'm done. Done with life. Had a really shit day and I just can't do it anymore. I can't deal with it. And I just want to let you know, you know, you get in that very matter of fact. It's not like it's coming with a love note. It's not like coming with an even though I want to end my life, you were one of the best people I ever met. You know, so even, even though it, I would still classify that as bipolar, it's a little bit different. I think from my experience personally, people that are really, and what we're really speaking to here is a spectrum because bipolar is a spectrum of behaviors. It's not, you, you'll never just be able to slap a electrode on someone or take a needle to someone's blood and put it under a microscope and say, hey, look, this person's bipolar. It's, it's like uh, autism. It is a spectrum of behavior, of behavioral disorder. And with the very extreme spectrum of bipolar, you get people who flip into these suicidal patterns. The first time I ever dealt with a girl that was bipolar suicidal was when I was like 13, 13 or 12. And it wasn't even a girl that I'd ever met in real life. This was a girl that, for, for those of you that, uh, I think it was tagged. I think it was tagged. There, so this, so many of you younger people will know, never know what this was. This is back in the days of MSN Messenger and uh, MySpace, but there was a website called Tagged, and it was used all around the world. So a lot of you who are my age, thirty and above, probably know. 
I'm 29, almost 29. Tagged was like a version of, I guess it's a mixture between Facebook and Tinder. It was very, it was very Facebooky, but it did have a romantic connotation. There was very much a dating aspect to it, and there was just. But a lot of the times you would just meet people, and you just you'd never meet them in real life, or a lot of the times you wouldn't. Sometimes you did. Some of my best mates uh, met their actual girlfriends through Tagged at the time, and I remember I had one long distance relationship. That lasted like three months. And when you're like 12, 13 years old, that's a long time. Especially for someone you never met as well. You're like sending gifts to each other. So I, I created a lot of good relationships. I do remember from Tagged. Big big debt to Tagged. Tag, shout out to Tagged. But there was one girl that I met in particular who lived in a different state. She lived in Western Australia. And ah, oh, I actually remember her name, which is crazy. Her name was Brooke. I don't remember her last name. But uh, her name was Brooke. And she was such a lovely girl. She was so sweet. And, you know, we'll talk every day. And it's not like we were going out. It's not like we agreed to be in a long-distance relationship. But, you know, things were things were heating up. Things were sparsing up. I, you know, we would send little kiss messages, emojis to each other, and little XOXOs, and, you know, you check in. And it was things were building up. And I remember she told me specifically that she was diagnosed with bipolar when I noticed that for a week at a time, she would just not respond to any messages. But then all of a sudden, when she would respond, it would be like an absolute volcano. Or it would be a waterfall. And I said, like, Wait, what's going on here? And I'm sure at that time, I was like 12 or 13 years old. I didn't know how to handle that conversation. But she came out and told me that she was diagnosed with bipolar. And as I got to know her more and more, the reason why she would go away for weeks at a time was because she was in hospital. Because she had tried to either hang herself, she had tried to bleed herself out. I know that's one of the most brutal ways of killing yourself, is uh, creating, so many, creating such enough of a cut and you just bleed out to the point where you just fall unconscious and you know eventually you lose enough blood to die. That's some pretty hectic stuff, actually. And so that's why she would be going away for weeks at a time. And what was so perplexing about this to me at that age, and it's still perplexing to me at this age, like I don't pretend to understand what that's like. I've never been that way. I've never, I don't have bipolar. I'm emotionally very well balanced for the most part, unless there's uh, certain girls girl slash girls in my life who are fucking with me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I say that tongue in cheek because there's always an element of truth to that, isn't there? Um, <laughs> I don't mean that in a negative way at all. I just mean that it's just the nature of being uh, emotionally connected with people. Um, you put your heart on the line. I, I'm a very much a heart on the line type person. Like if I'm... <sighs> This is such a different tangent. It's such a tangent. Oh, it's such a bamboo shoot. I've, let me just finish that. We'll just say that because a lot of you may be thinking that doesn't sound like Adam at all. He's not, he's not, he doesn't get that emotional. I mean, I in these podcasts will get emotional, but in terms of what I'm speaking about, my relationships, there's just one girl I'm seeing at the moment who I'm very she, – she gets into my heart. She gets into my heart and she causes, uh, she causes a, lot of, a lot of heat, a lot of heat, which goes both ways. You know, he he can be used very constructively. Can also burn down a house. So you know, you can cook your food or can burn down a house. So, anyways, anyways, I don't pretend to understand what it's like to be bipolar. Normally, generally speaking, I'm very emotionally well balanced. I'll leave that there. So at that time, dealing with a girl who was, uh, I think she was three or four years older than me. I was 12 or 13. She was like 16, 17. And she was telling me, and what was so amazing about it was that 
she was so hot when we were together in terms of her emotional disposition towards me that we were always having phone sex we were and that was one of the major forms of connection back in those days which is like because you couldn't physically be with each other so it was really interesting to to have phone sex with someone that you never met before yet this is the primary form of your sexual connection because it's a lot deeper than you think it would be as opposed to a couple that is born in physical reality as in you guys met on the street at the beach in the club gym bar whatever and then one of you goes away for a week and you have phone sex when they're away in Canada or whatever but you primarily have sex in real life phone sex isn't the same to that couple as phone sex is to a couple that's never met before. Something that I've never really reflected on, but I'm just refle- when you come up in the days where it was MSN Messenger, MySpace, tagged, and you know you're young, you're like 12, 13 years old, you never had real sex before, and you don't have a car, you don't have the ability to go drive to people's houses. Phone sex is a very different thing, and it becomes quite important in a lot of various relationships. It's probably very different now because of the dating apps. But this is back in the day before Tinder even existed, well before those apps existed. So, anyways, I would talk. I, I knew her family. I knew her mom. I talked to her mom every time I call up. I talk to her mom. I talk to her brother. And you know, she, we we envisioned one day getting together, like somehow making it work. Not sure how, but it was likely heading towards a long distance relationship of some kind. And you know, obviously to be burnt out pretty quick in, in hindsight, but when you're that age, you, you don't know. The emotions are swelling. So anyways, when she dropped the bomb on me that she was going away for weeks at a time because she had to go to hospital because of self-harm, trying to kill herself, it's so hard to emotionally comprehend because you feel one day she's telling you that you're the sweetest guy she's known. She feels like she can tell you anything. She loves the time that you guys spend talking together. You have like five-hour phone conversations from bloody 8 p.m. until 1 a.m., 3 a.m. in the morning. You're drilling up those phone bills. It's, it's so hard to emotionally comprehend. And so you're very liable to say the wrong thing. Say the wrong thing, not say the right thing. Two very different things. I hope you understand what I mean there, which is that there's a difference between saying the wrong thing and not saying the right thing. Saying the wrong thing, we discussed at the beginning of this podcast to a girl who's bipolar, particularly a girl that's suicidal bipolar. The wrong thing would be, okay, this is what you need to do. Need to fix you. This is how I'm going to fix you. That's the wrong thing to do. Absolutely. You are... So undereducated in a woman's emotional experience to be able to, as a masculine being, to be able to say that I know what's best for you and that this is how I'm going to fix you and this is the answer to everything. Such a male mindset, but, but, so incorrect nonetheless. Not saying the right thing, you know? I had a lot of respect for Brooke because she would tell me what the right thing to say is. You know, I was really lucky to have that experience. And why I've always communicated to the males that listen to this podcast and this channel, which is that you really should try to age up as much as possible in your formative development of social dynamics. You should do your best to meet people that are three, five, ten years older than you to get deeper levels of lessons faster. 
A 13-year-old is going to learn so much more, so much faster from a 16, 17-year-old girl. A 13-year-old guy is going to learn from a 16, 17-year-old girl so many more lessons, so much faster than he would being with a girl a lot younger than him, his age, but also a lot younger than him. And it goes uh, it goes a lot back both ways as well. You just flip the perspectives for girls listening to this. It's once you reach, like there's a cap to this. Once you reach a certain level of social development, <clears throat> excuse me, once you reach a certain level of social dynamic development, in which that you've got a good handle on having direct, congruent, authentic conversations, covering them with empathy, that you know what it's like to convey intent, you are very on the front foot proactive in terms of the creation of your relationships, you are very accustomed to setting foundation, to setting boundary, to recognizing, acknowledging people, dealing with emotional turmoil within yourself. And I'm just going through a lot of the general pillars of being a well, well-developed social being. <clears throat> You know, that's a lot of the major pillars of someone's social development and their social temple. Once you have established a lot of that, then it's okay to age down because then it becomes primarily a point of looking to utilize the skills that you've already developed. But when you are in a, if you want to take a clock face from 12 to 12, if you go all the way around the clock face, when you're in 12 to 3, unconscious incompetence, you certainly should not be looking to date and to get into sexual experiences with people that are younger than you in terms of their social development or, and preferably, you know, same age is not as bad, but it's not as good as being with someone who's much older than you, much more developed than you. Then as you move down the clock face from say three to six, which is being consciously incompetent, you still, I still would not recommend, like you still, what that just means is that simply you're aware of how bad you are. (laughs) You're aware of how much you suck. Whereas previously, you didn't even know how badly you sucked. It's only once you traverse the second half of the clock face of social dynamics from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. when you enter conscious competence that now you start and that's that utilization of foundation, utilization of skill, where you've already spent a good deal of time understanding all of the various things that I mentioned before about what would make up a sound social skill set, social being, that now you can just have fun using it. Now that it's about experiencing what it's like to be in front of a 23-year-old young Mexican girl who's traveled over to Australia, uh, is on a working visa, is picking strawberries in the fields and then doing a psychology on the side and maybe you spend a couple months together and then you travel over to Japan and then you you said a must to the uh, receptionist in the, in the hotel and you decide that you wanted to go out for uh, uh, some takoyaki, <laughs> some octopus balls. <laughs> I know it sounds terrible, but it's the best. It is the best. Uh, takoyaki is amazing. And so you had to want to go out for some takoyaki. You want to just get to know her. And, you know, maybe you realize that through learning that Japanese sexual culture is very different to Western uh, sexual culture. And that even just the outright, outright confession of direct intent is not present within Japanese culture. So you're learning that. So all I'm trying to paint here to you guys. And then, but then, but then you come back home and then there's this, uh, you know, 18-year-old typical Australian biddy who you met on the beach and you know she she wears bikinis all days and she works at the local uh jetty cafe and you guys play Monopoly. You play fucking Monopoly together. <laughs> I love the contrast. So you go from Mexican uh tourist on the working visa to Japanese receptionist from the hotel eating octopus balls to Australian biddy eating uh, playing Monopoly. 
Australian Biddy Play Monopoly. So what I'm talking about here, that's actually really good though. Like, as you can tell, there are the three stories I just gave you. How the fuck? How in the fuck did Adam just come up with those examples? Because of course, those are people that I met. Oh, no. Two of them are people that I met. One of them, one of my mates is... I'm referencing uh, the Mexican girl from one of my friends. I don't, I don't want to put him on blast. So I, won't, I won't say his name. He knows who he is if he's listening to this. All I was trying to demonstrate, and I think I did a bloody good job of it, is the utilization of social skill. That once you attain a certain level of social development, then it's just about using it. It's about going out and experiencing it in the face of all these different mirrors because my friends... That is all we are as human beings. That is all we are as human beings. We are mirrors to each other. We are the reference of experience. We are the reference of existence to each other in which that all our inadequacies may be realized, in which that all of the most benevolent qualities within us, the love, the peace, and the joy, the best of that could be communicated to another person. That is, that is primarily as human beings what we offer to other human beings. One, that I, I know that I am alive because of you. And that you do that as well for me. I, that didn't come out right. And I do that as well for you is how that should have sounded. We confirm each other's existence for each other. And then number two, we may do our best to overcome the sufferings of this life, our inadequacies, and hope to provide a loving, peaceful, and joyous experience, the best of our benevolence. <sighs> You know, that's what the utilization of your social skills primarily should be for in this endeavor to learn about human beings and interacting in your short space of time in this infinite universe. This universe that's infinitely shrinking and one day will expand infinitely again. Yeah, that's a bit of a mindfuck, isn't it? It's a bit of a mindfuck that when the sun goes beneath the earth, and by the way, I'm not even sure if what I just said was correct. <laughs> I don't think anyone can confirm whether that's correct or not, which is what is uh, the beauty of life. The beauty of life is that no one knows what happens when the universe is going to shrink back into nothingness and then when it's going to expand back into everythingness. I think that's what's so incredible. It's so important to realize as human beings that we are on a planet, that when you go and watch the sunset, that you do not purely look at the sunset and go, oh, look, the sun is setting. No, take in the beauty of it, absolutely. But then for a moment, could you please realize that the sun is not in fact setting, but the earth is rotating on its axis so that your view of the sun appears that it is setting. That you are in fact falling backwards. Not falling, I say that for, for drama. You are rotating backwards. And the only thing keeping you from falling off of this planet is the fact that there's an ice wall at the edge. <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking, the earth isn't flat. The earth is not flat, son. I'm just adjusting this mic. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't help myself. The flat earth is hilarious. Okay, I love it. I love their arguments. I do, I really do appreciate them. But the only thing keeping you from actually falling off when the earth rotates backwards on its axis is that we have gravity. And that keeps us suctioned to the earth. It's, it's incredible. It's incredible to realize, and why am I going into all of this... It's because of the beauty and the rarity of what life is that we've looked pretty hard and we can't find any other trees. There's a lot of trees here, but it doesn't seem to be any anywhere else. They've looked. Trust me, guys, they've looked. I've looked. I've grabbed a telescope. I couldn't see a tree on the moon. <laughs> I tried. Wouldn't it be amazing if we found another planet with a tree, but we don't. 
Wouldn't it be amazing if we found another planet with a a habitable, habitable, coexisting society, coexisting that where there is, whether it's human or not, whether it's just these blobs that seem to communicate with each other in some way, just something, something somewhere that talks to each other, but we don't. All we have is here. And all we have here is our short experience of life, which will only be, for most of you, if you do the very best, a maximum 100 years, if you're going to be in the absolute top echelon of human beings, 120. The abs, and I'm talking about the 0.001s of each other. But for most of us, your time's going to be done pretty soon, pretty soon, pretty short. So why not endeavor to learn the most about yourself in relation to others and provide the very best of human experience? Why not? Why not? Now, how did we get into all of this? I have absolutely no fucking idea, but I know that the main point was getting back to Brooke, getting back to her. Ah, I have, I somehow, somehow, if we reconnect this, we will. But let's get back to Brooke here. I know that one of the, la- the last point we were discussing on her about the self-harm and the suicide was that, you know, we have the, 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 fo- the phone sex was uh, tremendous, but it was tremendous because there was also quite a deep level of emotional connection there in which that I really did feel like in a way I was becoming her boyfriend and she was becoming my girlfriend. While we hadn't stated that because we knew it was a bit ridiculous because she lives in Western Australia, she's 16, 17, I'm 12, 13 at the time, I live in South Australia. You know, it's ridiculous for us to start calling each other boyfriend, girlfriend, unless we're really going to commit to this. But we weren't, we weren't at, that wasn't the place that we were at. We were just at a place in which that we definitely recognized that each other was special to each other. Well, that's what I thought anyway. Hey? That's what I thought anyway. Because when she told me, I don't know, a couple months, couple months into us having this type of relationship with each other, that she was going, the, the reason why she would go hot, cold, and particularly in the cold moments where she's trying to kill herself, it's like that, that really messed with my psychology. That really fucked with me spiritually. I don't even have any concept of spirit at that point. But you feel it within you. It's like all day when you're at school, like you're trying to do math problems, you're trying to do the Pythagoras theorem, but then you're just thinking about this girl, and you're like, why aren't... Why wouldn't she tell me? It's like, why wouldn't she tell me that she was trying to kill herself? I thought last night we were like connecting really well. And it's like, I feel like I thought I was special to her. I thought I was special to her. And then all of a sudden you start to question your own self-worth and you start to question, what is it? Am I being deceived here? Am I being fooled here? Am I being manipulated here? Should I stop talking to her? Do I need to try and do more? Should I, should I be trying to connect with her more? How would I even do that? It's like, you so... You can see right here, what I'm trying to paint out is these two concepts of proximity and depth to the relationship with a girl who's suicidal bipolar. I was not ready at that age to be that close with someone that extreme. As I said before, that was an amazing crack on the elbow. As I said before, bipolar is a spectrum. There are some girls that their bipolar extends to purely... One afternoon, they just don't want to see you. Next afternoon, they're back to normal. And it's like, okay, they get a flutter every now and again. A lot of people who are diagnosed bipolar are also medicated with it. I don't know the names. I think lithium is one of them. I could be wrong about that. But I know that there are many, there are many drugs provided for it. There are also many holistic ways of dealing with it as well. I'm not a doctor. I'm not here providing medical advice in any way, shape, or form. Although both of my older brother and dad are, so you could ask them. Although they're not specialists in bipolar, so I'm not sure if they'll they'll probably refer you on to a psychologist or a uh, psychotherapist or a uh, psychiatrist. 
Anyways, I was not prepared to deal, to be that close, and that's what I'm talking about, proximity, with a girl. And when I say close, we were very far away physically, but we were emotionally very close to each other. Like we were, I remember at a certain stage, we started saying to each other, we started saying to each other, we started using the word love. We wouldn't directly say, I don't recall this memory, it was a long time ago, but I don't directly, I have a pretty good memory when it comes to these things because social dynamics is something I've been studying since I was about this age. Not that I ever called it social dynamics back then, but I think this is why I do what I do, which is that I've always been fascinated by human behavior, particularly social, human social behavior, how human beings interact with each other and why they do what they do. I've always been analyzing this ever since primary school, really, ever since I was like, you've, Year three, year four, I remember breaking the shit down with my friends. So this has got a long track history. So I think it's why I remember a lot of this stuff because I would think about it a lot. And I remember with Brooke, we wouldn't directly say to each other that we love each other and that we're in love with each other, but we would use the word love a lot. And I'm, I'm trying to find examples here but to try and paint it out, but it's like, I love the way you do this or I love it when you talk to me like this or you're so loving you show me a lot of love. That's what I'm talking about. That it's almost like saying you love me without saying it. Because neither, I remember neither of us wanted to actually go and take that step with each other because we knew it was never going to manifest into anything proper. Anyways, all I'm trying to paint towards that the proximity. So emotionally very close, emotionally very close with each other, but too close, too close to my level of development because I was not armed with the tools. I didn't know how to have a conversation with her. I didn't know how to position the conversation with her, guide the conversation into discussing her bipolar. I probably did what, not the best thing. I did the least worst thing. I did the least worst thing, which is that I just said to her, I don't, using the word, key three words, I don't know. So I don't know what this means. I don't know how to deal with this. I remember telling her that it really fucks with me at school because I just can't focus uh, knowing that there's this girl that I really care about, but then she's trying to kill herself on the other end. I don't know how to deal with that. But see there again, I don't know. I don't know. I just kept saying to her, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And I don't knows for a 13-year-old is a lot better than why don't you do this? Why don't you try this? Why aren't you doing this? You're, so that's what I'm talking about before. It's like, it's, it's not the best thing. The best thing is what I instructed at the beginning of this podcast, which is to have a mature conversation, open, direct, congruent, authentic, covered with empathy and putting together a really solid package of trying to understand her as best you can. That's definitely the best way of going about it. Not trying to fix her, just trying to understand her. But I, I didn't have that training. I didn't have an older brother or a father or a coach at 13 to tell me how to do that. So I was just saying that I don't know. And I don't know is neither good nor bad. Doesn't hurt, doesn't help. It's just, yeah, it is what it is every time. It's what I was best able to do. So so eventually, you know, the you just we just dropped out of contact at some point. Yeah, as as the as as those things often end up doing. I have no idea what she's doing now. I have no idea what she's doing now. Long time ago. I hope she's okay. Hopefully she's around. She might not be around though. I don't know. I do not know. As I said before. So proximity. And then the depth. So proximity. Uh, now, proximity and depth, actually, we need to step out a second here because those two things don't apply in that story. Only one of those things apply. When I'm talking about proximity and depth now, proximity and depth, we talk about having a relationship in real life. So let's say you've got a girl who's bipolar, suicidal in real life. 
as when I say real life, I mean like you can actually see each other. You can physically drive to a house. You guys can go to the beach together. You guys can go to restaurants. How close, how much time do you want to spend with her? Proximity, how close do you want to be near her? Time in space with her. Time in space with her. And plus, also considering how deep do you want to go with her? That's the depth part, which we have not necessarily. Well, I kind of described a little bit of it before, but we'll go a little bit harder into it now. You know, if you're not prepared, if you don't feel like you're going to be the type of person that can handle one night having sex with a girl, and then the next morning she calls up and says she wants to kill herself. If you don't feel like you're ready to handle that, then don't get stuck in. Don't don't try and dig your heels into that situation, into a situation that you know you either don't have the development to deal with or you don't have the emotional disposition to deal with. Because it is it is tumultuous at best. It is like a hurricane to live your life with someone else who is constantly giving you this existential question, this crisis of existence of whether they're going to be here the next day or they're not going to be here the next day. I say to you at this stage, there was, was, now I want to bring you guys forward. The last girl that I dealt with that was bipolar was probably, probably two to three years ago on this extreme. I've, I've, I've seen a lot of bipolar girls since then, but not on the extreme end, not suicidal end. The last suicidal extreme example that I had saw of a bipolar girl was probably about two or three years ago. And at that time, I felt like I was good. I felt like I was ready to handle this. Looking back now, it's quite interesting because I did a lot of the things that I've told you guys about. We had very open conversations with our girl in particular. Let's just call her, call her fake name Jenna. I had a lot of conversations with Jenna about her bipolar nature. It came out very early on in the relationship. And by the way, we weren't monogamous. We weren't monogamous, but she also wasn't seeing other people. She didn't want to see other people. She was happy to be in an open relationship, yet she didn't really want to see other people. So you can call her an open relationship because the principles were always there, but she never actually saw anyone else in the time that we were together. I did though. I was though. And she was okay with that. So anyways, it came out very early on in the relationship that she had a very strange form of bipolar. How did it even come up? It was like we were sitting in a cafe one day. Like I think it, was, it may have even been on our second date. I think it was like on our second date. It was like rain. It was a wintry day. It was raining. We're sitting in a cafe. And she just told me that she's had some shit go down in her life. Basically, she is like the mother of her family. She's got a lot of siblings. Her mom doesn't give a shit. I don't know if it sounds brutal, but it is just what it is that her siblings were basically just piggy banks. I'm not sure if you're listening, if you're listening to this from a different country, I don't know what your welfare system's like, but in Australia, if you uh, have a child, the government offers you financial assistance, particularly if you're a single parent, single female, you get quite a bit of assistance. I want to say quite a bit. Oh, you would have I haven't checked on the I haven't checked on the amounts in a long time. But I remember when I was in high school having to do a research project on this and we were de- dealing with the concept of abortion, we were dealing with the concept of childhood mothers, uh, sorry, um teenage mothers. And I, I remember it was like per child someone was likely to receive somewhere between 
five to ten thousand dollars up front. It was something like that. And this was back when I was in high school. So I don't know if it's increased or decreased since then, but I know that there's there is financial assistance given particularly to single females uh, when having given birth. And so it was one of the big problems in Aboriginal communities down here in Australia, a very contentious topic that babies would people were just having babies just to get these cash checks, these bonuses from the government. They had never really intended to take care of the babies, and sometimes they would abandon the babies, they would, you know, orphan them, or even worse, do other things, which uh, let's not get into today. You can imagine. And so it was a big problem. It's a big problem, and I'm sure many other societies have dealt with this as well. This is not the topic of today. But anyways, why did we get into this? Oh, the girl, the girl, uh, fake name Jenna. So Jenna told me that a lot of her siblings were these piggy banks, that her mom essentially just conceived and gave birth to a lot of her siblings just to be able to get money, just to be able to get the stimulus checks from the government. She came from, we're talking about like proper poverty, proper lower class but she was a lovely girl. She was a beautiful girl and just had to grind through life, all of her life, no relationship with her dad and just having to be the mum for her siblings this entire way through and she's just jaded, just bitter. Bitter, bitter girl. Very pretty, very bitter. It's often a very, I know, let me just, can I just riff with you guys for a second? I just said something there. Very pretty, but very bitter. It, it has been a point of fascination for me as a masculine being. Girls that are outwardly very attractive, when I say very pretty, yet have some real darkness within them, that have some real mixture of abuse. Because when you look at someone from the outside, particularly very attractive girls, that's never the first thing that comes to mind. You would never look, you never, as a guy, particularly for girls listening to this, you never walk down the street and see an absolute bitty walking by, an absolute stunner, and think, oh, I wonder if she's got daddy issues. Or I wonder if she's been raped before. I wonder if she's, uh, dealing with a personality split personality disorder. I wonder if she's got bipolar. I wonder, you know, I wonder if she's got autism. You never think of these things. They're the th- never the things that go through the mind. And not that I would suggest that they do, but it's such the opposite of what would go through your mind. And that so it seems to be even more of a shock. And I'm just offering that as some real honesty, which is that it's just been. Uh, you tend to associate, most likely, I would say this is just conditioning through mainstream TV, mainstream Hollywood movies, you, you tend to associate those personality disorders and deep psychological, physical abuse within people of people of a lower class because that's the way it's always, well, a lot of the time it's portrayed in mainstream media. And I'm not even just talking about like news media, I'm talking about entertainment media. It's like you just, those images are always portrayed by the slums, people in the slums. It's never portrayed by the well-to-do, uh, the well-to-do upper class. Even though it's so not the case, the well-to-do upper class are often just as psychologically messed up as the rest of us. So, anyways, moving on beyond that point, getting back to it here. Uh, Jenna was very, very pretty, very, very pretty, and but had a lot of abuse within her. Had dealt with a lot of abuse within her. Abused herself a lot, and was just a very, very rough girl. Bipolar, suicidal at the same time. Not professionally diagnosed though, but she referred to herself as bipolar. She'd done her research and she thought, this sounds very much like me. Upon hearing this, I actually got very turned off. Not by the bipolar. 
I said that the wrong time. I should have said something before that. Let me take that back. Upon hearing this, I endeavored to find out more. And in hearing her describe her life story and what dealing with the bipolar was like, I said before, jaded, very bitter. I said very pretty, very bitter. The bitterness came out. The jadedness of her life and dealing with the Bible was a self-loathing, a loathing for life itself, not an appreciation for life, but a loathing for it. This started to reveal itself unconsciously. I could tell she wasn't even aware because this was like a second date that we were on and she's offloading all of this bitterness, all of this darkness about how she just has no vision for what life, a good life would be. For someone like myself, who is always in the positive mindset, like I'm always pushing forward. I always want to try and see the best in things, see the best in people, see the best in life, appreciate the infinity of life itself and the rarity of us as human beings. This is a very big turnoff. That's what I was saying before. You know, I, more, more importantly to me than a woman's facial structure, the structure of her spirit, the structure of her heart, her reverence for what life is as a human being is far more important to me than her reverence for the latest perfume or makeup brand that came out this week. So I didn't see her again after that date. And she received, I got a text from her. I don't know. I want to say I didn't see her. I didn't try and connect with her afterwards. You know, she sent me a linger message afterwards saying, you know, thanks for the date, et cetera. But I didn't, I didn't hit. Well, I want to say I didn't hit her back. I didn't hit her back to try and organize another day. You know, I said, yeah, no worries. <laughs> That's basically it. It's like, yep, no worries. Smiley face. Uh, and then so you know, I think it probably about a week went by and she said, hey, is something wrong? Is yeah, I know she's been really quiet lately. And this is where you're posed with that. I'm posed with that crossroad position, that X, that do I go left? Do I go right here? Do I tell her why it is? that I don't want to really see her, I don't want to be involved with her because I just got turned off by that negative energy. Not because she's bipolar, because like I said before, I've been emotionally connected with bipolar women before that I was borderline falling in love with because their vision on life wasn't bitter or jaded as a result of it. She just, this particular girl was. That's what I was getting turned off by, just making that very clear. Not the bipolar, but her jadedness. I get turned off by anyone who's jaded, (laughs) anyone who's bitter. It doesn't matter if they got bipolar or not. So, 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 so. For better or worse, I just said to her, listen, this is emotionally very complex. It's very hard for me to describe this over text. It's really not the place to do it. But if you want to meet up, let's do it. Okay. And she goes, all right, cool. So we meet up. And I think we went to the Botanics, actually, down here in South Australia. And I just unloaded to her doing the same principles that I said to you in the conversation. Acknowledging her, just saying what I do like about her, what I do think is good in her. Setting the rules of conversation. Okay, that's cool. She agrees to her. Okay, this is what it is. What I feel like is that not because you're bipolar nature, but because of the way that you talk about life. It just seems like you're in a very different space. It's very negative. And, you know, that's a hard thing to say to someone. But this is what I'm talking about, emotional development, social development. I would only say that to someone if I felt prepared to say it. I wouldn't advise going into this if you don't know how to handle that, if you don't know how to handle, how to look someone in the eyes when you tell them that, actually, I find you very negative. I find that you're very jaded, very bitter about things. And that's why... I've been quiet because I just don't feel like we're a good match romantically, a very good match sexually. <clears throat> you 
you could tell tears were welling up in her eyes as I'm t- describing this to her. But it wasn't tears of anger or tears of heartbreak. It was almost tears of acknowledgement. And once I was done speaking, I didn't really address, I didn't address the tears while I was speaking. I did you just notice it. You absorb it, but you carry on. And then when I finished the message, I'm like, okay, so I want to hear everything you have to say about this now. <clears throat> and she wipes away and she, she brushes that tear off and she says, this is first off, Adam, I just want to thank you for actually being real with me, actually telling me what it is that you experienced because I feel like every guy lies to me. Every guy just says, ah, sorry, I'm too busy. Or, you know, actually work's getting like this or I've really got to focus on my studies or maybe my ex came back, et cetera. You know, they'll find a diversion to not have the difficult conversation with her. And so even though it's painful and she's saying this, so even though it's painful to hear you say that to me, I really appreciate the truth and I really appreciate you being honest with me. And this is why I've always pushed to you guys listening to this podcast, whether it's delivering good news or bad news, it doesn't matter, whatever it is, deliver it truly, deliver it with truth and honesty and boldness and directness because whether they like what they're hearing or not, they'll always respect you for the integrity. You always maintain your integrity by being direct. It was after this point that we really started to dive into what it's been like living as her with the suicidal thoughts because the suicidal nature of her bipolar didn't really come up in the previous discussion it really kind of just centered around that she feels hot cold one day's great one day's not great the abuse from parents living coming up in a really low socioeconomic area the siblings being the piggy banks etc but the bio, the suicidal nature started to come out here and it's likely that she often reserves that part of the conversation to see if the guy's willing to go into that so even by me having this conversation with her, effectively what I've done here is described or explained to her, stated to myself as well, that I'm willing to dive into this. I'm willing to see where this is willing to where this is going to go. And so she comes out and she says that well, actually, and a lot of times I do feel like ending my life. I do feel I feel like that's probably where a lot of you're feeling that jadedness, you're feeling that negativity. And now I'm starting to get ideas of maybe the jadedness. I'm feeling is not jaded about how life's been so hard for her, but jaded about maybe the jadedness is that that being stuck in a place where you want to end your life, but not quite. It's like life is really not so great, but it's not so not great that I want to end my life. And you're in that little zone right there. It's like things are so shit, but... Not so shit that I'm willing to put a bullet to it. You know, maybe, and that's why I remember sitting there going, maybe that's what maybe that's where I'm getting this jaded feeling from. And so now I'm getting brought a little closer to her. Now I'm feeling like, okay, now I want to know even more. So as I said before, I'm trying to now throw out rafts. I'm trying to help her bridge certain rivers, get to the other side of rivers in the conversation. Because, you know, not most people, or at least some people will. Some people will flat out just tell you how it is they try to end their lives. But this girl wasn't that confident. This is a new territory for her. This is she never. I don't think she'd ever had a conversation like this with a guy before, who actually wanted to know. And and I was like, okay, so because because of my experiences with uh, Brooke back in the day, that was probably the, yeah, that's probably 
Oh, I don't know if there have been girls in between that. She, Brooke was definitely the one that I was most connected to, though, in my life that had suicidal bipolar. Where we spent a good periods of our lives getting to know each other. So, so naturally, I want to go a little bit more drawn into it. I just wanted to understand how it happened, like how it is that it manifests. Because for Brooke, it was, she would go away for weeks at a time, primarily because she was in hospital, because she almost bled out to death, or uh, she had suffered intense burns to the neck or whatever from the rope or whatever it may have been. <clears throat> and the way that Jenna, trying to navigate my way around these fake names, Jenna, well, Brooke is a real name actually, but Jenna is the fake name. That way Jenna described it to me is that it, it wasn't so much about the attempt physically. She wasn't the type to try and cut herself or the type to try and drive her car off in, into a tree, but it was that she would just enter that holding pattern, if you will. She would never actually crash the plane. But if you can imagine that a plane has a path, it has from A to B, but halfway on the way to B, it decides that it doesn't want to fly anymore or it decides that it wants to crash this flight. So, but instead of, but that decision is set into a holding pattern. So it just does circles for a long time. So the way this was manifest in real life is that that I would just like shut myself off, I lock my door, and I would just sit there just thinking about how I need to end my life and how writing letters, sending messages to people, telling people, like sending messages to my mom, uh, to my brother and sister, etc., my younger sister, number siblings, telling them that I love them, but it's time for me to go. And so like this is what I'm describing, this is what I'm trying to paint out as the holding pattern. She was not the type to physically impart the harm on herself. But she would be on the brink of it. Like she would be right there. And these episodes would last a really long time. Like this is like lasting hours all throughout the night. But then she would finally come out. She would finally come out and she'd be okay. But it was like, and I know like when you guys are listening to this in this podcast, if you're not suicidal or if you haven't dealt with people that are suicidal, I'm personally not suicidal, even though I contemplate suicide a lot in terms of meditation and I work with the idea a lot. I myself am not suicidal. But I have experience, I have a lot of experience of people who are suicidal. One of my best friends committed suicide, took his own life himself. So I understand what it's like to be with these people. And I understand that the holding pattern is just as traumatic, can be just as traumatic as the physical attempt to actually try to hang yourself or connect a hose pipe to your car and put it in through the window and try to fume yourself to death. That was a very common thing uh, back in the day. You don't hear about that as much anymore. Pretty brutal, actually. But the asphyxiation that comes from that. But anyways, this is quite vivid. I'm trying to get my mind off that. All I'm trying to say is that it can be just as psychologically damaging for someone to go through the episode of really trying, of just being, writing out the letters and, and having full commitment to that. And that's what Jenna was trying to communicate to me because when I was asking her, how does it manifest? How does it appear? So she's talking to me about this and you know, tears are dropping out every now and again and I'm just like holding her hand a little bit and rub her hand a little bit, but try to try to keep things not sexual, not trying to sexualize the situation, just trying to let her know that it's okay. You know, you can expand, you can clear it out with me. And so by the end of this conversation, we had to bring a summary to it. Uh, I say had to. I say had to because of where we were in the conversation. I'm not saying that to you guys. You don't always have to bring a summary to things. You don't always have to have a conclusion. The conclusion very much can be that there is no conclusion. 
Like if you just meet an impasse and say, like for example, if I if this has been maybe the first time I'd ever been through this and I just thought, oh, okay, I don't know what to do here. I just need time to think about it. That's fine. That's fine. Give me a week. Give me a week to sit on it. It's totally fine to not reach a conclusion at the end of a difficult conversation in a relationship and just say, I just need some time to think about it now. That's cool. Of course, that's a general rule. It's a general rule. There are often times where actually a conclusion needs to be had, particularly when it comes to breaking up. But for the most part, when I'm talking about nuanced situations, very difficult situations that require a lot of uh, empathy, a lot of care, concern for the consideration of someone's human experience, definitely feel free to take time to pause. But with her, I feel like I felt closer to her after she had described to me all of this. Whereas previously, I didn't want to see her again. I didn't really didn't want to see her again. So what I found out was that number one, I was wrong about why I felt she was jaded. And that completely changed my viewpoint around her. I thought she was just jaded because of life's been rough. And to me, whether it's not a question of whether that's correct or not. It's a question of it's just not attractive. So I've been with street rat girls. I'm a street rat, not a full street rat, but I've been a street rat socially. And we've done an entire podcast on this. I've always been an outsider socially. I've never been in the in group. I've never been, I've never, I've never just fit in and slotted into society or slot into life. I've always gone against the grain. That's what I'm talking about when it comes to street rat. I'm not talking about socioeconomic status, but I can also be talking about socioeconomic status. Just not with me. But I have been with girls that are socially street rats and also socioeconomically street rats and had a great time with them and really enjoyed them. In fact, uh, it's something that one of my very, very close friends seems to be a practitioner in <laughs> is connecting with uh, people that are street rats. We, I've just, sorry, sorry, I'm not, I'm sorry, sorry, I'm not apologizing. It's a real tangent though. I don't want to go into that tangent. I was almost apologizing for a massive tangent there. Uh, one of my mates who just always happens to be with street rats and uh, we were talking about it because him, he himself is a street rat. And what I'm talking about there is just the just really rough people, rough around the edges, not necessarily bikies or gangsters, but have just been through some shit. You know, whether it's socioeconomically or socially, just been through some shit. And I've found myself like that as well. I, I seem to gravitate towards uh, street rats as well because I, I recognize that within myself. So anyways, moving forward, I feel a lot more closer to Jenna as a result of her opening up. And so I realized I was misunderstanding a lot of things. And this is the point of this conversation. And I'm, now I'm starting to feel like I actually want to understand her better sexually. I want to understand her better romantically. Maybe there is something to be found here. So to push through the story now, we move into... It sounds like I was going to say we're going to move into each other's houses. Not quite. We move into a more romantic space where we go back to her. I want to be careful around. Um, just want to be careful around the details here. Even though I, this is a, this has always been a point of contention within my podcast, which is how much I'll let you guys know. In the last, in the not last podcast, but the one before. There are some podcasts where I literally tell you every single detail sexually and there will be some podcasts where I really try not to. And it's not even because I'm worried that she's going to listen to it and not like it. I'm, I'm worried. What I'm more worried about is that there's always a thread within me that goes, even if she's never going to hear it, it's like, what, it's like the what if. It's like, I don't, I don't know if she, because I don't have her permission not that I necessarily need it, 
you know, I think what we're really talking about here is that two podcasts ago in the animals, animal sex versus deep love, and in all the podcasts I've done where I've described very intimate details sexually, it's because I knew the girl would be happy to hear it. As in, I knew if she ever came across it, she'd be happy to hear it. But in this podcast, I think I'm going to remove that. Well, it's just because I don't feel like that would be the case because I don't know. We haven't spoken in many years. So let me just say this, which is that we didn't end up ever having sex, full penetration, but we got very, very sexually intimate up until that point where we were naked together, rolling around with each other uh, back in her apartment. And there was just this moment, this brutal, brutal, but beautiful moment in which that, because you imagine when you're rolling around naked together, it seems like a foregone conclusion that you are going to have sex at that point. Not that I would ever assume that, but we definitely thought that was going to, I'm sure that's exactly what she thought was going to happen. It seemed like it was definitely progressing that way, but it was just the way that she looked me in the eyes. There's this, this moment where we're in a low-lit room where there's just one lamp on and she had, this is, no, see, there's the detail I don't want to mention. Fuck. <laughs> uh, I'm at a real crossroads of this because it doesn't, the story's not going to make sense if I don't say this, but uh, Okay, let me say this. I'll just, I'll 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 just act. Jenna, if you're ever listening to this, I know that I haven't used your real name. I haven't used any real dates. I've used real details about our experience together, but um, no one, I doubt anyone listening would know that this is you. But it's, uh, it seems like it's a pivotal piece of information that anyone listening needs to know, which is the reason why we didn't progress. It's because... Ah, fuck it. I'm just going to have to do it. If I, listen, if I get in trouble, if I, I get in trouble all the time. <laughs> you guys listen to this podcast, I have no idea. I wouldn't say all the time, but I have gotten in trouble before, which is why I'm so cautious. I'm so cautious because earlier on, because this podcast has been going for years. Earlier on in the podcast, I used to not care at all. Like I literally would just, every single story, doesn't matter how much time had elapsed, like particularly when stories happened just like the previous day, I'll come in and describe it to you guys just for the principles. got so ready to tell you about the lessons. But some girls would get upset about it. It hasn't happened in a long time because I'm very good now about not uh, divulging unnecessary information. But I feel like this is really key. So I apologize, Jenna, if you one day hear this and this hits a little too close to home. But as we were rolling around naked in our bed together, and when I say rolling, that makes it sound a little bit more trivial than it is. You know, when I say rolling, it's like we're making out heavy. We're literally flipping each other over, but... You know, it's very amorous and her clothes are off, my clothes are off. And so before that, she had siblings that were the piggy banks. And so that that's not her relationship with them. That's her mother's relationship with them. But what it meant was that she was left to take care of her siblings most of the time. Her mother just wasn't in the picture. Her mother would just go off and do God knows what. And, and so her siblings were in the other rooms. Like she put them to bed put them to bed and they were in the other rooms and you know we we're trying to be quiet about it and there was just this moment where for a moment you take a slight pause and you take stock of the situation where it's like here I'm, I'm with this girl that tries to end her own life like gets to that point regularly she's got these siblings in the other room and all of this emotion just just like overwhelmed me in a moment it's like 
not that I had been trying to block it out in order to go through this romantic experience of her, but it's, you know, just sometimes just all the letters of the alphabet didn't seem to be present until just one moment. And all of a sudden you see the entire alphabet in one go. So if you guys want to try to paint here, try to see the entire alphabet in your mind right now. A through to Z, try to picture every single letter at the same time. You can't do it. How many letters can you picture at any one given time? What, A, B, three, four? Even four is hard just to visualize A, B, C, D at the same time. Try to get to A, B, C, D, E, A, B, C, D, E, E, F. So F, it kind of stops at F, doesn't it? Like it's really hard to see A, B, A through to F. That's what I'm talking about is that when you've got so many moving pieces, so many bits of information to process, it's very hard to tackle anyone at any given time and to get overloaded. It just, at sometimes you just get overwhelmed. And I was in this moment with her and it's like, there's so much trauma that's going on in the family situation. And there's so much trauma happening within her. And then it's like, I don't think having sex with this girl right now is the best idea. So like, I don't think it was, I don't think it's and when I say the best idea, what I'm really trying to say there is that I don't feel like I was emotionally ready for that depth. I don't, I, when it came to just hearing about the family situation, I felt like that I was okay. Like you can sit there and nod along. You can sit there and say to yourself, Okay, I, I can I can imagine what that would be like, and when the girl's telling you that she has to take care of her three siblings, and there might even be more actually, but I think there was at least three, and she's the, mostly the caretaker for them. You know, when you're there on the date and she's telling you about that, that's so well and good, Jeffrey. Like you, you just you don't know what that looks like. You don't know what that what that means. You don't know what that means when you go back to her place and she has to put them to bed. Yeah. But you're like 20, I was like 24 at the time and she was like 22 at the max. So she's like young 20s, I'm young, I'm almost mid 20s. You don't know what this is like. You don't know what that's going to feel like. And so when you get there and that happens and then you pass in this other thing about, well, she's hot on me right now and we're good together now. But what if she calls up the next day and says that she wants to end her own life? That part, I felt like I was better prepared to deal with. It was the family situation that really, A through to Z, just just all the rockets got launched at that point. And so it just felt like it was just too much in the moment right there. And so I made a decision in the moment to not progress through sexual progression, the full penetration with her. And you know, we were lying there. And of course, she's very confused about why I haven't gone to you know, penetrate deeply inside her. And she was very, uh, she was very horny. She was very wet, ready to fully receive. And the best I can do is just say to her that I don't feel like I'm ready for this. It's like I just don't. And I say it with a tiny little laugh there because you think you would be. You always think you are until you aren't. And it takes the humility for a masculine being to acknowledge when proximity and depth are just you're just not there with them both. It's like, I thought I was ready to be this close with you and I thought I was ready to go this deep with you. It turns out not. It turns out not. But I made sure to let her know at the end that even though I don't feel like this is something I'm ready for right now, you know, I still appreciate who you are. I still want to be involved with you. still want to know about you. still want to be here for you. It's, it's just that I don't, because of the situation of what's going on, you know, 
I've still got a lot more growing, a lot more learning to do. You have this conversation with her, and while, of course, she's very upset by it, she's very disappointed by it, because it feels like, I can imagine from a female perspective, you know, that's, how can she win? How can she ever get a win? How can she ever find someone? Like, she's going to have to, it, it would imagine, you would imagine that it's just this never winnable game, that because of her circumstance in life, she's just never going to be able to find a male that's ever willing or prepared or wanting to go into that situation. And so you, it's just so emotionally complex. So emotionally complex. But I think the reason why I wanted to tell this story the most, getting back to it now, and now that I'm pretty deeply emotional in it, try to pull myself out of the emotions now and just get back to the podcast of things, which is that the bipolar, or what I demonstrated with uh, Jenna in particular, which is that in particularly the crossing moment there, and it was probably nice for you guys to hear how it ended, but actually the main point of that story was when she was telling me on the either the second or third day, so I guess it was the third, I guess, technically, when we came back out and she explained to me about what her bipolar was like, what her suicidal nature was like, you know, that's when I actually got brought closer to her. That's actually when I wanted to find out a little bit more. So lesson in the story, moral of that story, is don't give up on a girl who's bipolar from the beginning. Don't give up on a girl who's showing past history trauma, who's been abused, who's been raped, who's been psychologically fucked with and cheated on throughout her entire life and has formed shells and has formed these weird behavioral patterns that just just don't seem normal to you when one day she's kissing you, she's hugging you, the next day she wants to end her life or she doesn't want to see you again. You know, just do your best to find out everything you can, to understand everything you can about her. And then at the end of the day, if you find out that you're not compatible, that this relationship probably should not progress because you are just not willing, ready to be that proximal or to be that deep with her, then that's okay. That's okay. That's it's such a formative experience in your social development to be able to tell people that not now, but it's not because I don't like you. Yeah, that's quite beautiful in a way. I like that. I really like that. It's okay to say someone not now, but not because I don't like you. Like I really liked Jenna. I liked her. Like she like I said, she's a pretty girl. And when you put aside, when I asked her to open up about the life situation, which of course brought out the jadedness, which really came from the wanting to commit, uh, wanting to end a life, but not quite being willing to do it. You know, you got that. It's like, who am I? And this lacking sense of confidence in who they are. But everything outside of that, you know, when we were just walking out up and down the mall, you know, we laugh, we joke. She's a sweet girl. Otherwise, sweet girl. Otherwise, connected. Otherwise. Enough to the point where, and I got brought in closer to the point where we're going to roll around naked with her. And then you realize, actually, it's, it's, it's just too much. It's too much for me right now. Now, let's just finish this. Let's finish this. Let's put a nice little wrapping bow on this, my friends, which is, that was five years ago now, almost. If I was to meet that same girl now, if I was to reconnect, either, re, no, no, not reconnect. Let's say meet the same girl again. But now, and so she's 22, but now I'm 29. And she's presenting the exact same story. Let's just take the exact same story. But now it's 29-year-old Adam meeting her. I think the outcome would be very different because I've had five more years of social development. Because there's something actually now that, but actually it's probably not the best analogy because it's the only reason why I feel like that now is because of what I went through with Jenna. 
So that's why I'm actually quite indebted to her. I'm actually very grateful to her because it's because of my experience with her that better prepares me to deal with girls like her now. That's why you should never run away. You know, you hear this from girls, and I, I see this in the comments on some of my videos, particularly the daddy girls videos, girls of daddy issues videos, that, uh, you know, guys just, they immediately, if they see a girl who's got some form of daddy issue or some form of uh, personality disorder or behavioral development disorder, that they just run away straight away, not even willing to understand or find out what's going on within them. It's like, no, that's, that is the completely incorrect, destined, to keep you as a boyhood psychological psychological being for the rest of your life. That it will keep you emotionally immature as this uh, person who commented on my comment before. Is that if you run away from difficult situations, how do you ever expect to develop? How, if you run away from girls that have prehistory trauma, how could you how could you ever expect to be able to better serve a girl that you really do love, you really do connect with, that has been raped or physically, sexually, psychologically abused before? If you're going to run away from that, how do you ever expect to be able to help someone that one day, you know, maybe this girl doesn't mean the world to you now, but what about when you do meet a girl that does mean the world to you and she has that exact same hurt locker? You know, you have no development, you have no practice, you have not understood what it means to go through and guide these conversations, to not try and approach her with a fix-it mentality, but to just approach her with a loving mentality, understanding mentality. You have to embrace the difficult situations. And just because you know, and I wouldn't not embrace the difficult situation because I know that I'm not prepared to deal with it. You know what I'm saying? And what I'm talking about, there's an extent to that, of course, but the extent is just wanting to understand. It's like, I want to understand, bring me to the brink of knowing 100% that I, this is just something that I just can't deal with and that it would actually be detrimental to you if I tried to. Yeah? Because Jenna's situation was very unique in that it wasn't just the bipolar uh, suicidal nature, it was also the family situation. But if you think about with Brooke, when I found out that she was bipolar suicidal, I didn't run away first. I just clearly stated that I don't know what to do and that I'm going to need to try and figure this out with you. And so we we continue to, in quotes, see each other through this uh, phone chat relationship, but pretty emotionally connected. Like we're very, very connected with each other uh, for a, a good, probably at least another month and a half or so, which remember when you're very young is actually a very long period of time. Nowadays, a month and a half goes by in a second. But when you're 12, 13 years old, a month and a half goes by a long time, especially these initial relationships. And so I didn't want to run away from her either. And I tried to understand best and try and work through it. And that's what I would put a capper on this podcast with, which is that when how to deal with girls that have bipolar, seek to understand how they feel, how they wish to be heard. Give them the space. It is a masculine's role always to provide the vessel in which that a feminine being could empty herself. Yeah, and that largely applies to anyone at any time, but particularly with a girl that is presenting with a bipolar nature, just get her to explain that to you. And if you feel that you're prepared psychologically, socially, to be able to deal with the emotional fluctuation of what it would be to be like with someone who's so hot cold, then baby step your way through. Take it slow. Don't need to make any major commitments to each other straight away. Just say, hey, let's just find out about each other. Set up the T's and C's of your relationship in an open style. Right, I've got an, if you want to go back to, I've got many podcasts on how to set up the open relationship, but particularly the most recent one would be 
Animal Sex versus Deep Love. I go through a full walkthrough on how to set up an open relationship in that podcast. But you set up the T's and C's correctly. You set up the relationship so that it just primarily centers around you too. You set up all the expectations. It's built on trust, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you, you walk through that and you walk through someone who's got bipolar suicidal nature or very extreme bipolar and you just find out how each other's going to progress through this. If it gets to the point where it's too much, then you find out. Maybe, maybe it doesn't though. Maybe you do actually work through it with her. Maybe, as I said at the beginning of this podcast, maybe you will be the last guy. And when I say the last guy, what I'm saying is it's not the last person she ever sees, but the last guy that she... The last guy to see her through the final hurdle of dealing with her psychological trauma. I know some of you may be thinking, but what about the genetic disorders that there will never be an end to? I never take that mentality. I don't I don't care what science says. I don't care. I've seen too many miracles in this life. I've seen too many incredible things that happened as a result of particularly psychedelic intervention of which that people thought they would have PTSD for the rest of their life. They thought they would have this addiction for the rest of their life, but then going through certain treatments, certain, certain protocols, whether it be through plant medicine or psychological interventions of some kind, something happened. They jumped out of a plane. They went and did 12 weeks of cold plunging every day of their life. Uh, every day of winter, sorry. Something they did. And then now all of a sudden they're a completely different person. I've seen people literally have unconscious, full-body exorcisms of darkness within them. People that have gone unconscious and just acting out all of this past childhood trauma. I've bared witness to these things. So I just I just don't buy that someone that is bipolar now couldn't learn to best manage that, if not overcome that. I would never shut out the light on anyone. So that's why I say the being the last guy. And so you have to simultaneously hold that light that it's that even if this girl is presenting bipolar now, it doesn't mean that she's always going to be this way for the rest of life. There is always a path forward. There's always a path towards light. I want to be that. I want to be part of that light. I want to be one source of light for her. I don't need to be her only light, but I can certainly be one source of it. And that if she ever determines that my source of light is not the one that she needs right now, that's okay. And there you find the detachment. There you find the harmony the compassion for that we are all on our own journeys and that the journey will always be your journey. And that, my friends, is exactly where we shall wrap up this podcast. Thank you very much for diving into today's session. It was great to have you here and I'd love your feedback. If you want to send me a message on either social media, on Instagram or on Facebook or through the website, all the links are down below. That'd be greatly appreciated. And if you would like to help to support the podcast, you can donate anything that you wish through the PayPal link or through boldoja.com. Again, all the links down below. Also, if you're not signed up to the free weekly email newsletter, The Bold Sip, you can do so over at boldoja.com. Just a quick sip of Social Dynamics, a little cheeky article. It's free every single week. Comes out on Fridays, Australian time, and also some other sexy updates from the rest of the universe and any other things that I think you guys need to know about. That will not get censored over on social media. If you'd like to book one-on-one coaching sessions, create action plans, and overcome limiting beliefs to help you move forward in your life across any area of the temple, whether it be purpose, physical, mental, or social development, you can reach all of that through boldojo.com. Send me an email there if you're not quite sure, but you can check out the Bold Coaching Memberships or just once-off sessions. And I look forward to diving deeper with you. You can also pick up the Guided Meditation Eternal Energy on boldojo.com. 
a nice five track, eh, we call it an album, but it's actually more of a course, just diving deep into who you are and evolving beyond. If you'd like to help support this podcast, you can donate anything that you wish through the PayPal link, which is paypal.me forward slash Adam Ui, A-D-A-M-O-O-I, or also directly on balldojo.com in the Baldojo podcast section. There's a direct link through the website if you want to donate through that as well. And anything that you guys donate is always most appreciated and just goes back to help supporting this show and everything that I'm doing here at the bowl. So thank you very much. And finally, I wish you all the strength and power as you move forward in this life, not only learning how to interact better with other people, but learning how to interact better with yourself. Much peace and much joy.